Hello and welcome to Plot Trish. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Gift of the Marquis by Darcy Burke. This was published in 2019 and is the second novella in the Love is All Around series. The first one was The Red Hot Earl, which we were extremely pleasantly surprised by. We read it last year and we recently re-released it because we had so much fun recording the episode. So you guys get to listen to it again. And this is the second novella in that series. And then we will be recording the third later this holiday season because all three are Christmas novellas. Yes. You may remember, well, you probably don't remember this because I'm sure we didn't talk about it in the episode. But if you read that book, which I do still recommend, you may remember that her Bianca's sister Poppy seems to be having a little trouble with her marriage. And so we get to find out why in this book. Yes, she is a 24-year-old who has been married nearly three years. So you know there's a lot of room for angst about the future. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we find out why, Lane? We should, but I just want to say to our readers, this is one of the episodes I have been most nervous to record. Because this is extremely dark. <laughs> I mean, it's dark for you, I think. M- my feelings about it are extremely dark. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, you want to start us start us off with the book jacket? The Marchioness of Darlington wants nothing more than to be a mother. But after nearly three childless years of marriage, Poppy believes she is barren. Her sadness is eclipsed by anger and hurt, however, when she learns that her husband does not share her despair, and she suspects he is having an affair. Unsure where to turn, she distances herself from him and rededicates herself to helping the women and children at the poorhouse. They are all she has. Gabriel Kirkwood, the Marquis of Darlington, is certain his wife will die in childbirth, just like her mother, his mother, and his sister. So he is relieved when they are unable to conceive. Even so, he knows how desperately she wants a child, and watching her struggle with her disappointment is a knife in his heart. When he meets a young pregnant woman who doesn't want her baby, he glimpses a possibility to give his beloved a happy ever after. But feeling Poppy slip away, he only hopes. It won't be too late. Yeah, Meg, this is only dark to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I don't know what to tell you. All right, let's quibble with the accuracy of this jacket. She doesn't really think he's having an affair. She sees him, like, walking in the woods for 30 seconds and is like, oh, my God, what's going on? Is there a woman there? Oh, my God, is he cheating on me? Oh, no, never mind. Well, I mean, like, yes, and this could have been, look, there are things that I do really like about this book. Not the main concept or the plot, but there are aspects that I do really like, and that's one of them. That's actually one of them. No, and that's fine, like, but to make it this part of the jacket, like, oh, my God, her life is ending. She's barren. He's fucking someone else. <laughs> and also, she doesn't distance herself from him and rededicate herself to helping the poor house. They run a charity, and she's well, been avoiding it because she doesn't want to be around the kids. I was going to say, she actually hasn't been to the poor house recently because... Because it's it's so... It hurts her heart because she realizes she won't be able to have a child. God. And yeah, so he's just pretty convinced every woman who is pregnant is dying. 
<laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but yes. It's just extremely, like, he literally looks at pregnant women as walking corpses. That is, like, his mentality. And yeah. it literally is also, everything about this could not have been handled worse in some ways. Like, they do meet a young pregnant woman who was raped, and that's how she found herself to be pregnant. And they're like, oh, you don't want the baby? We'll take it. And then that's, even... That's not what happens, though. <laughs> right, but then even when they're like, but, you know, you will fall in love that second. And somehow it makes everybody who, like, ever has been like, mm, I don't actually want to be a mother, like an asshole. <laughs> like, it invalidates the perspective of, like, a woman who actually knows this just isn't for her. Like, it manages to make everyone a shitty person. It makes it makes everyone... Yeah, I, that's true. I'm not sure, like, who the intended audience of this book is. Because, like, it... it you know, everyone, like mothers who have given up a child for adoption. Sorry, you're you're doing motherhood wrong. Women who can't have children and want to adopt, they're kind of doing motherhood wrong too. And then anyone who's aborted a child, obviously, is the worst. The only people who are doing motherhood right are the ones who, you know, get pregnant right after, who don't have fertility struggles and, you know, they're good. I mean, just like literally the moral of the story ends up being this poor girl falls in love with their baby that she was forced to conceive by a rapist. Like, it's not a feel good tale of like, the whole thing was fucked up. There's a lot of fucked up stuff about it. There are some, like I said, there are some aspects that are not terrible, which I will talk, I'll talk about all of them. <laughs> okay, but before we start talking about the book, more than we already have, we generated a random number when we read a novella we generate it out of uh 25 and for this episode we generated a number of seven and then we wrote our own summaries based on that number so here's my summary <laughs> my seven word summary seven word summary child free by circumstance but he's loving it Well, it's not the childlessness he loves. It's the impending death of his <laughs> wife and future offspring. The fact that it's... Well, okay, that's... I chose to highlight an aspect of the book that I liked, okay? Yes. Which is that he he's a Marquis. He's got this whole title that he's supposed to pass along. And in so many books, the impetus for the, first, for the guy to get married or whatever is because, you know, he's got a bad heir, like... He can't let his cousin inherit, blah, blah, blah. And this guy's like, I don't care. Let the estate go to the queen. Like, I don't give a shit as long as my wife is still alive. And I liked that. So there you go. How sure. about you? What's your seven-word summary? Festive tale of infertility and marital strife. <laughs> Which brings us to the trope section. There are not a ton of tropes in this book. The main trope is marriage in crisis. I mean, to get spoilery, because I just don't give a shit. Um, it's the the second you've resigned yourself to infertility, you get pregnant. The magic baby, yeah. Which is offensive to everyone. Yeah, but it that appears so much. It's such a terrible trope. It's, but yeah. it's a trope. It really is, yeah. So. And then also he is the smartest dude in the world because he figures out she's pregnant like three seconds after she does. Be when he's touching her boobs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Are there any other tropes? Like, seriously, are there? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure individual moments are very tropey. Mm -hmm. Like that, I've got to have you right now against this tree. And the like, oh, I've seen you talk to a woman for 30 seconds. Are you cheating? No. Like, their obsession with charitable giving, like, ends up, like, the the house is falling down around the tenants, so they're going to take them to their house. Like, the most yeah. charitable people who's ever lived. But not really. This is neither particularly festive or tropey. Yeah. Okay. As you can guess from the title of this book, it is based on, it's a take on O. Henry's Gift of the Magi. Is it, though? I, I just don't know why anyone, anyone ever would choose babies as the gift in Gifts <laughs> the Magi. Honestly, I thought this was going to like a really dark King Solomon place where they were going to end up cutting Poppy's baby in half. I swear to God. And I was like, but babies are not, like, they're a metaphorical gift, right? Like, you know, a gift from heaven or whatever, but they're not something you actually give unless you're like into slavery right you can't actually gift someone a human meg so. i don't have an answer here <laughs> this is this is why i was scared to record this episode on some level because like i don't understand who this book is for i don't know and like i i was thinking really hard to be like how does this work but i guess like her deepest desire is to have a baby and his deepest desire is to is that he, he doesn't want his wife to die. And he thinks that by having a baby, she'll die, right? So his deepest desire really is not to have a baby. Um, and yet they work at cross purposes to their own desires because he decides that he's going to adopt a baby for her. And then she's like, no, even though I want this baby, I'm going to convince the mom to keep it. But the thing is, neither of them are being self-sacrificing for the other person. Like, yeah. if he manages to successfully adopt this poor woman's child, then he's not sacrificing himself because he gets the kid without his wife dying. Yeah. And if she convinces this woman not to give her their baby, she's not giving him what he wants because it's not like he doesn't want to be a father. He just doesn't want her to go through childbirth. Yeah, I mean, there's there are issues with it. That's like that's the thing too. There are structural issues with this concept, and not just philosophical. And like, okay, I'm just gonna do this one because it's obvious. Because I fucking hate it all the time. This whole obsession with motherhood, it's obsession with impregnation. The the sex scenes here get fucking disturbing. She's like. Like, fill me up with your meaningless seed because I'm permanently empty. And it's like, the sex is not erotic because it's all like, no matter how much I love you, your dick will never be a child. I don't fucking know. It was just really upsetting. <laughs> but like, even philosophically, this, well, if you don't birth our genetic child, our life will always be missing something. And like, not to shit on people who feel that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm really tired of that reductive view of femininity overall. And then to have it be so wrapped up in a rapist impregnating someone and a worthy couple, quote unquote, not being able to have a baby. There's just so many layers of like kind of classism 
interwoven in it here that I was like, everything about it squicked me out. Every page of this book found a new way to squick me out that I was just not ready for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do want to mention the aspects that I like. Uh, one of them I already mentioned, but it's that it, it, I did like that she went against that historical romance trope of like, I need to have an heir. Like he was very much like, I love my wife. And he, he's acknowledging something that most historical romance does not, which is that pregnancy is very, you know, it's a, it's a medical condition. And I know a lot of people don't want to see it that way because it's a miracle, but like it's a medical condition. Many women died from it. Like women in this era were encouraged to write letters to their children because it was probable or very possible that they would die. And those letters that they wrote to their unborn child would be the only thing that the child had of their mother. Like this was common practice at the time. This is not, look, I get it. It's not romantic. It doesn't appear in a lot of historical romance, but his fear and phobia made a lot of sense to me. Right? Oh, I mean, it was certainly rational. Yes. So honestly, it was refreshing to me to see a nobleman who's not obsessed with getting an heir and who really valued his wife more than just the bearer of his child. I understand right. that, like, her desires counteracted that view. So I get that, but I did really like that. Uh, and then the other thing I liked was... As Lane said, for about 30 seconds, she thinks he's having an affair. Like, she sees him. He lies to her about where he's going. And she follows him. And she sees him go into this, like, semi-abandoned cottage on the estate. And a woman opens it up. And she's like, what the fuck? In another romance, this could have caused the main conflict. She could have run away, like, left the house, you know, and said, I can't give you a baby. And now you're going somewhere else for sexual comfort whatever no she just walks up to this house and knocks on the door and she's like where's my husband and i i also really liked that and, and then she go. sees who's inside and what's going on and she's like and i have nothing to fear okie doke yep yeah like yeah, without exactly. him even explaining like it's it's not a rational thought it's not like she's suspicious it's just a, i'm yes. seeing something i don't understand we are currently fighting because i'm mad at him for not being sadder that we can't have a baby Yes. And I'd like, just to take a step back up, again, clearly they can have a baby. Yes. Like, she is fucking 24 years old. I also found they got married, like, two weeks after meeting three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. We're, like, told they have this, like, perfect marriage and that they're super in love prior to, like, whatever moment that she realized that, like, getting pregnant wasn't going to be easy. But you don't see any of it. They're both just such angsty assholes the whole time. They are. They're very angsty. I agree. Um, I do want to mention that this book is happening. It's happening concurrently with The Red Hot Earl. Which, which I loved. And it's we both really liked. The third book is going to do the same thing. Yes. Um, so it's happening concurrently. There are things that happen in that book that also happen in this one. So you see from like a different perspective. This book actually begins before that one began, which I think was kind of a cool idea um, for this series of interlocking books. Um, so I, I think you can probably read these out of order if you don't mind getting spoiled 
for like who's going to end up with whom. I think she wrote them in this order for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Because you get the happily ever afters chronologically. That's true. But anyway, so um, I just want to mention that it is happening concurrently. So I think it does benefit from reading the other book. Um, Reading that book does make you want to read this one. Despite the fact that this is a little weird. Maybe you want to skip it. (laughs) You did feel tricked, didn't you? Because you were like, this book was so surprisingly entertaining and fun. Yeah, but also, look, um, this is going to be a complaining episode. Sorry, dear listeners, if you hate those. But part of what I loved about the Red Hot Earl was also, I felt like Darcy Burke had a really direct writing style about both their interactions with each other and the sex that worked, Mm -hmm. given the personality of those two characters. Right. And she used the exact same writing style and voices for these characters who are both extremely different people. And I felt like it didn't work here to the degree that not only were the sex scenes and a lot of their arguments bogged down in what felt like expository, this hurt my feelings, or he put his hand on my boob and then went down on me. Like it was, it was also just not in line with these characters. Mm -hmm. Like everything I found charming about the first book, even when it was replicated, was done in a way that like kind of squicked me out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I don't think bugged me as much. That's fair. But okay, let's talk about. I mean, I think we've already talked about all the content warnings we need to. Right? Are there more? Magical baby. Everybody dies. Yeah. And then the sexual assault in the the unwed mother's past. As I said, the first thing I said was the rape. Oh, excuse me. I didn't. I didn't hear that. I thought you said something else. Rape. Yeah. Okay, um, sexiness. I do think Darcy Burke writes novels that are sexier than they deserve to be. Yeah. This book was pretty sexy, in my opinion. I know you didn't. I think that the whole concept, like, just bugged you enough that you were like, none of this is sexy. I thought it was pretty sexy. They are a married couple, right? They've had sex for a while, which I do think allows authors to put the characters in more novel situations maybe so like one of the like the first sex scene is there's it's in their bedroom so it's just like you know they're having sex in the bedroom but like what they do i was like oh well this is i was a little surprised by it in a good way i've said my piece (laughs) and then the next time they have sex he's like uh basically he's feeling inadequate because he he understands that she's very upset that she can't get pregnant and he's like i want her to know that like she's enough for me and i love her very much and so the way he proves this is by you know outside in the cold he's like let's just go have sex under this tree i was again fine with it Points for creativity. The fact that she is depressed and just thinking about her empty fucking womb the whole time. The, the, then, so, but that said, that was the end of the, I think maybe there's like one other sex scene. Um, the problem is this other sex, this final sex scene is a coitus interruptus because he realizes she's pregnant in the middle 
And that just kills his boner because he's afraid she's going to die. And he's like, oh, no, I'm having sex with a corpse. Pretty much. So that was a little frustrating for me and for Poppy. But not for (laughs) Lane. I was just glad that I knew it was almost the end. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. Yeah, I, I was disappointed in this one, I have to admit. And to top off the shit sandwich, uh, this gets no candy canes. (laughs) Why doesn't it get any candy canes, Lane? Just because you don't like the baby stuff? No. So, first of all, with the exception of them kissing under mistletoe two times, there's, like, nothing Christmassy that happens. Mm. Like, this book attempted to say that because there was snow on the ground. (laughs) It was Christmas. And, like, there's passing reference to very minimal decorations mm-hmm. and that is it there is no caroling there is no fe- like i think they think because it just happened at like a home for unfortunate women and children that that makes it christmas yeah like, no, well, and they're like they're like planning a saint stephen's day party but yeah i mean that's it though and there's no even like the Red Hot Earl, like, trying to make a romance novel out of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was adorable. And seeing all of, like, the kind of ways they pulled she pulled that in was super cute. Yes. First of all, Gift of the Magi, was always it always pissed me off. Like, it is yeah. not a good Christmas story. It, no, it's a very good Christmas story. It's just a depressing one. And those, those, those are the ones that you don't like. It's not Christmassy. <laughs> I see it's, Christmassy, it's Christmassy in the way that the little match girl is Christmassy Lane. Which is depressing. Zero out of five. (laughs) This is the Christmas shoes of romance novellas. And I am not here for Christmas shoes. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're really enjoying our Christmas novellas this year. I, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. 